It's the weekend, so relax and listen to some stories the whole family can enjoy. That's right, it's the Saturday Story Circle, here on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated G for general audiences. Chapter 24 The night air hung over the city, heavy with a thick damp that clung to everything it touched. It held every bit of smoke that flowed from every chimney and wrapped it low over the streets and alleys like a vile fog of grime. The night was cool and clammy and full of portent that promised no good to anyone. Kit Baxter could feel that portent hanging in the air. She would rarely admit to such a thing, even to herself, and almost never when she wore the mask of the flying squirrel. She still felt the adrenaline rushing through her veins, coiling her muscles like finely tuned machines, ready to spring into action at a moment's notice. But something in the air this night carried the scent of doom, and she couldn't shake the feeling no matter what she did. Her eyes never wavered from the doorway she watched, down the blind alley almost lost in shadows, but her right hand twitched slightly, as if it itched. She played with her fingers a little. She didn't want to seem nervous. On the other hand, if he valued her instincts, she raised her hand half the distance from the ledge on which it rested to her eyes. Without looking away from the doorway below, she glanced at the dull black ring she wore outside her glove. It lacked any sort of luster that might reflect in the darkness which so often kept them safe. In place of any sort of adornment, there was a small, flat plate in the same dull tone, and within that round plate there was a series of red circles within circles. The pattern looked almost hypnotic, though she knew it was the sending and receiving antennae built within the plate in the form of tiny microcircuitry that took the place of normal radio tubes. It was just one of the many things the Red Panda had developed to aid them in their war on crime that could have revolutionized technology around the world. He had sacrificed the fame and fortune that such inventions might have brought him, wealth perhaps even dwarfing that which he was born to, for the greater good of ridding his city of crime. And apparently, so I'll look at him like he's clever. She smiled at the thought. It probably wasn't true, but still it gave her a thrill that he'd thought to say so. She hesitated another moment. Suddenly the radio ring crackled softly to life before her. Red Panda to Flying Squirrel, a small tinny tone sang from the device. Come in, Squirrel. She grinned and bit her lip a little, though there were no watching eyes to hide her delight from. Squirrel here. What's the rumpus, boss? All quiet on this end, the voice came through gentle static. Here too, she said. I thought no news was good news. Did I say that? he said, knowing full well that he had. "'You missed the melodious sound of my voice, didn't you?' she teased. There was a small pause, just long enough for her to think he'd gone back to radio silence. "'I have a feeling I can't shake,' his voice came again. "'Do tell,' she smiled. "'Maybe we should put some music on and talk about it.' There was another pause, smaller this time. "'I walked right into that one, didn't I?' he said at last. "'Yes, boss. To tell the truth, I was kind of hoping you were calling to say something encouraging.' "'You worried?' he said. "'Yeah, maybe a little.' "'Me too,' came the voice. "'I can't put my finger on it, but something feels wrong. "'Think we're missing something?' "'I'd be surprised if we weren't. 
But tracing Satchel Braun's activities through his former allies might be the only solid clue we have, since Professor Zombie has no known associates. There was a low buzz of static, as if a storm was blowing in, but was still far off, but he came through loud and clear. Mostly due to her nasty habit of draining them of life and making them her slaves. That does tend to cut down on the second dates, yeah. So we have to try something, and we ain't exactly overwhelmed by other notions, and I'm too pretty to turn into a mushroom hanging around that lair. So we go ahead. She blinked at the radio ring in surprise. Had he been thinking of scrubbing the operation? At that moment, she saw movement down below. Boss, she said, her former dread forgotten in the thrill of coming action. I've got something over here. Stand by. She leaned in towards the ledge. Low and lean, she blended into the shape and shadow of her surroundings. Few human eyes were trained enough to spot the flying squirrel when she did not wish to be seen. She couldn't be sure who it was. She never liked the feeling of the night vision lenses he'd designed. She found them distracting and sometimes disorienting during aerial maneuvers. But she would have dearly loved this set right now. There was a shape, a single form, creeping up the alley towards the doorway she watched. The door itself was illuminated by a single bulb that buzzed above the frame. But it was the only light of any kind down that dead end. And for all its lack of brilliance... It helped to make the shadows seem deeper from more than five feet away. The radio ring buzzed slightly. Squirrel, what is it? His whispered voice came. What part of standby was unclear exactly, she deadpanned quietly. Don't make me come over there. Is that all it took, she grinned. I got motion, that's all I can see. Looks like only one. That would be convenient, he said quietly. Is it Burmel or Palmer? Right this second, it's a small black shape in the middle of a big black shape, she said. I'll keep you posted. The shape in the alleyway paused, about twenty feet from the door. Kit couldn't see what he was doing. Remember, the red panda prompted, if you see any of Professor Zombie's creatures, don't hold back. They're already dead. Mercy won't help them, and it might get you killed. I'm the one that threw the grenades last time, remember? Or was that when you were napping? The shape in the alleyway changed its position. It seemed to be behind some cans opposite the door. She couldn't really see what he was doing, but she knew he couldn't see her. How's our friend, the radio ring hummed. Couldn't say. He looks shy. He might be looking for something. A hidden bell, maybe, or a release for a secret door. Or I might be making this more complicated than it needs to be. I wouldn't mind if it were just a touch more complicated, he said. How's that again, she said, only mildly distracted. Well, we've had our agents looking out for any sign of Burmel or Palmer for days now, with ne'er a peep. There was another hum of mild static, and this time she could see the lightning miles away over the lake. And suddenly today we get an address of their hideout. She shrugged, although he could not see her. That's how it happens sometimes, she said. From three different sources, he deadpanned. Yeah, that does stink, doesn't it? And then some. The shape down below moved forward slowly towards the door. I can't figure this guy out, Kit said. If this is his hideout, he's... And all at once, the flying squirrel realized what the shape in the alleyway was doing. He was doing exactly what she was doing. Boss, she hissed into the radio ring. It ain't either of our pigeons. It's that cop, Parker. What? Boss, it's got to be a trap. I'm going in, she cried as the shape down below reached forward for the doorknob of the single door, the sole point of illumination down a dead-end blind alleyway. 
They might as well have painted trap on the wall in bright yellow paint, if only she had seen it before. Squirrel, wait for me! There was no time. Even with his speed, by the time the boss got here, it would be far too late. She hurled herself off the ledge, spinning gently to the right as she plummeted towards the ground at gut-wrenching speed. She unfurled her gliders, but kept her arms close to her sides a little longer. No time to waste. Not a second. At the point long after that which most people would have considered the last possible second, she stretched her left arm away from her body just a little, just enough to increase the drag and point her feet slightly towards the wall. She engaged her static shoes and felt them thrust her forward from the wall at great speed as she fell. All at once she opened up both gliders and turned the full force of her dive into forward momentum as she raced silently through the blackness towards the form of Constable Andy Parker. He was illuminated now, just visible as more than an eager gray shape in the blackness. His hand was almost on the doorknob. The flying squirrel hit him dead on like a ton of bricks just as the door exploded into a million fiery shards. Carried by the force of the collision and startled by the blast, the two of them careened fifteen feet into the wall at the very end of the alleyway. Before he even knew what had hit him, she was hauling him to his feet and pushing him past the smoking remains of the doorway. "'Run, idiot!' she screamed, and he was still too startled to do anything but obey. He looked up as they neared the doorway and gasped to see two giant men nearing the portal. They were like the others he had faced, but with faces a sickly gray-green pallor. He saw a small projectile whiz over his shoulder and into the doorway, landing at the feet of the two monsters. She streaked past him like he was standing still. Faster is all she had time to say before the grenade blew and freed the two zombies from their undead shells. They had not taken ten more steps into the blackness of the alleyway before they heard a roar like thunder, only much, much closer than the storm that gathered over the lake. From high above, along the tops of the two buildings that created this urban canyon, there was a series of carefully timed blasts beginning at the far end of the alleyway and working towards them. In an instant, the squirrel realized what was happening and turned on her heels, pushing Parker back towards the ruined doorway. The explosions carried the destructive punch of a wrecking ball, and their effect was immediate. From either side, the upper floors of the buildings crumbled inward, filling the only exit to the alley like a cave-in. Seconds later, it was all over, and the last great boulders of bricks and mortar were piled high, just inches from where the flying squirrel stood. "'Now what?' Parker asked as two more behemoths lumbered out of the building, not registering the shattered bodies of their fellows beneath their feet as they did so. "'Don't know, Pokey,' she said breathlessly. "'Can you climb walls?' "'Cannot. No,' he replied. Huh, "'Then you might have a little trouble here,' she cracked. "'All right, you two. Hoist them!' came a weaselly voice. From behind the two zombies, Case Burmel and Mitch Palmer appeared, each with a tommy gun and a smug expression. Well, well, Palmer said. Look, Case, we got us some company. You two been a thorn in a lot of sides for a long time, but you didn't have enough goods to deal with the crime cabal. The crime cabal? Parker and the flying squirrel said at once. Catchy, Kit muttered. Uh, Mitch... Burmel said uncomfortably. Shut up, Case. Now which one of you wants it first? Mitch, Burmel sounded a little more frantic. What is it? Palmer hissed. If that's the red panda, where's his mask? Burmel whimpered. How should I know his partner, Ward? Maybe he... He looked around expansively and something above him suddenly caught his eye. Oh, no. 
and before another word could be spoken, a tall, muscular form fell from the blackness above, his long coat billowing behind him, making a noise like wind in a sail. He took Mitch Palmer, feet first right in the chest. The man in the mask landed on his feet like a cat. Palmer's landing was considerably less graceful as he lay on his back, gasping, his ribcage crushed beneath the blow. With a motion Case Burmel could barely see, the red panda swept his arm around the gun arm of the terrified gangster, twisted it in a lightning-fast jujitsu hold, and snapped it like a dry twig. Burmel screamed in agony, inadvertently squeezing the trigger of his tommy gun and riddling Palmer's helpless body with hot lead. The red panda threw Burmel bodily over his shoulder, away from the advancing forms of the two undead soldiers that rushed towards him, their jaws gaping wide with the screams of their torment. Suddenly, from beneath the folds of his coat, there was the singing sound of metal as the red panda drew forth a long-bladed katana, a samurai sword. Kit Baxter gasped just a little. She had long admired this blade, a gift to him from one of the dozens of fighting masters he had studied under in his travels, but she had only seen him hold it a few times and never draw it in battle. He disapproved of deadly force except in extreme measures, and felt even a finely crafted blade like this left one with few options but to kill. But if that lack of use had left the Red Panda with anything less than total mastery of the weapon, one would never have known it to see him. He moved the blade as if it were a part of his hand, graceful yet lethal. He crouched low as the first giant approached, and in a single sweeping motion downward, the sword neatly severed the zombie's left leg near the hip causing the creature to fall in a helpless, immobile mass. The masked man rolled forward with the force of the cut, changing his momentum at the lowest arc of his roll and sweeping his arm and upper body along the ground before him. He was back on his feet and standing, the sword resheathed, before Kit realized that his cut had amputated both the second zombie's legs at the ankles and left the undead beast in the same state as the other. The red panda turned back towards them, where Parker stood gaping and the flying squirrel breathless. "'Hi,' she said. "'Hello,' he smiled as he hauled the still-stunned Burmel to his feet. Before another word could be spoken, a roar could be heard from high above. As before, the buildings on either side of the alley were being rocked by a series of powerful, precise explosions, but this time they were bringing down the end of the alley above their heads. "'Into the doorway!' the Red Panda roared as the landslide of debris streaked towards them. The flying squirrel pushed Parker before her and then followed, with the red panda close behind, half-dragging, half-carrying Case Burmel, their only living link to the crime cabal. They raced through the abandoned building as two things became abundantly clear. This building had never been the headquarters they sought, and neither Palmer nor Burmel were intended to survive this encounter any more than they were. The rotten wood of the empty building began to burn as smaller explosions followed them, herding them forward but away from the building's front door. In the ceiling and the walls, the charges sprayed forth fire and debris, automatically geared to drive any survivors deeper into the fiery holocaust. A beam fell just before Andy Parker, causing him to jump back. A charge brought down a section of wall beside the flying squirrel, sending her careening into a large, empty room. A second explosion in the ceiling held her there. The flames were roaring higher around them. The Red Panda threw Burmel in Parker's direction. Get him out of here, the masked man ordered. He's our only lead. He turned back towards the room the squirrel was trapped in. He was half blinded by the smoke, but he could see her clearly just a few feet away. An instant later, a series of small charges fired in sequence around the edges of the floor in the great empty room. It happened at tremendous speed, like a machine gun fired from below, but with far more devastating results. 
A second later, the entire floor dropped out from underneath her, and she fell into the blackness below, out of his sight. Boss! she cried, her hand reaching up towards him as she fell. The red panda grit his teeth hard and raced towards the ruined room, reaching for his grapple line as he did so. He hardly noticed the first charges that burst above him, but he could not help but see the ceiling coming down before him, bringing the second story down in a great wall of fire. His path was completely blocked with a mass of flame and debris. He could hardly see, but he could hear another series of charges bringing the ceiling down with a deafening roar in what was left of the room in which Kit had been standing. He held his ground a moment. Two. Then he heard a cry behind him. It was Parker, almost lost in the blaze, desperately trying to pull Case Burmel out of the conflagration. He turned back to the shattered room and held his gaze another moment, then raced after Parker. From somewhere, over the roar of the flames, he could swear he heard laughter. Today, Americans are afraid of other Americans. They don't have to be. Some Americans hate other Americans, and they shouldn't. Americans are shouting at each other, and it's time to stop. Norman Corwin offers a quiet, informal conversation that reminds us all of how much we have in common. It's called Between Americans. And it's a fascinating banquet of food for thought from the grand master of American radio theater. It's his last message to the country he loved. You can hear the podcast on Monday, February 20th on the Mutual Audio Network's Monday Matinee. Are you tired of the lies, the accusations, and the closed minds? It's time for us to stand on our common ground as we face the future. Listen to this very special podcast and talk about it between Americans. Monday, February 20th on the Mutual Audio Network. <laughs>